Welcome to the Independent Artist Podcast, sponsored by the National Association of Independent Artists. Also sponsored by Zapplication. I'm Will Armstrong, and I'm a mixed media artist. I'm Douglas Sigworth, a glassblower. Join us as we explore the topics that affect the lives and livelihoods of art show artists. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's a beautiful day in downtown Santa Fe, and I am in a foul mood. Well, there you go. We haven't done that yet here on nope. the podcast. Uh, we haven't recorded in the evening either. I'm not going to say it's Miller time because I'm drinking a fine Santa Fe Brewing Company brew. Perfect. Take a little edge off. Well, you know, we were just texting back and forth literally a couple of minutes ago trying to plan when would be a good time for us to get together this week and do this? And Will's like, um, none. <laughs> yeah. I, I said, at first I said, well, never. Just fuck the podcast. <laughs> time. And then I said, well, how about now? So uh, thank you for being willing, sir. It's nice to see you. I literally just uh, pulled the computer out of my laptop bag. I pulled in about an hour and a half ago and threw everything on the bed and uh, I'm unpacking and here we are ready to talk. Yep. Absolutely. You had a pretty good trip or no? Well, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Okay. Uh, we we were on the emotional roller coaster this week. I tell you, it was a hard one. You know what? I, I followed social media, so I know what you're talking about. Give us a, a brief synopsis there of what happened without. See, my wife has already told me that that um, car trouble is boring. So totally boring, like, but not when you're living it. Not when you're living it. So uh, give us a lowdown. What happened? Well, the last time we talked, I think I told everybody on the podcast, the engine light came on. Mm -hmm. Well, that engine light turned into a, your van is not driving back to Wisconsin. You got to figure this one the fuck out right now. So that was, that was not fun. So um, it wasn't total dead man walking, but it would not have made it much further than out of the city. So we started looking for a van, which we've already established. There are no vans available, but we did right. find one here. We made an appointment to go look at it, and it sold before we could literally drive there. This is during the show? During the show, yeah. So who's selling the artwork? Did you actually have, I mean, uh, were you having a decent week? I mean, it, it's pretty distracting. It was hard to keep our head in the game when we had this other issue going on. Yeah. You know, we would be doing the show, and we mm -hmm. had a great show. I'm very happy with the show. But trying to deal with this other thing outside of it, trying to rush over to a dealership after each day and take a test drive when they're selling before we could even get there. Anyway, long story short, we ended up securing a vehicle. We found a new van, but it didn't have everything we needed. For one, it didn't have a trailer hitch. So <laughs> we couldn't get home with the trailer. So you, you just light it on fire. Just <laughs> right. collect the insurance when you get home to Wisconsin. <laughs> it's, it's on the side of the road left somewhere. No, we were able to trade in the van, and but then we had to schedule a trailer hitch thing, which we ended up sticking around for several days because we'd have an appointment to get the trailer hitch put on. We'd show up and they'd say, oh, sorry, man, it's the wrong part. And it just kept delaying the inevitable. But the other thing that made this quite a challenge was not only did the van break down on us, the trailer suspension had snapped and we were driving with our axle resting against the frame of the trailer. So that was mm. another just crazy thing to deal with. Oh, all right. So you, you bought yourself a new El Camino. 
<laughs> it was a Ford Transit. <laughs> okay, all right. We were able to find a Transit. That's another thing my wife dropped. She's like, it's boring if he gets a white van. It's an interesting story if he buys like a El Camino. There you go. <laughs> so, no, it sucks. I, I was really feeling for you watching it kind of unfold while you were out there on the road. And, and I don't uh, have to make light. That's a, that's a huge drag. It was. and But I mean, it's what we do. I mean, I've talked to so many people at the show who are like, well, let me tell you my story. And one of the ones that I heard was the worst is in this current environment of not being able to get a part to fix what we need. There was a story that Terry Cousy told me. I can't remember who it was, but somebody ended up putting an entire new transmission into their vehicle because they were trapped on the road this year. They couldn't get a new vehicle. They couldn't get the replacement part for what they needed that would have just fixed the transmission. So it actually saved them time to just put in an entire transmission. Wow. Yeah. I, I Services are hard to come by right now and, and parts and, and whatnot. Um, I had a blown axle support in uh, on my trailer in Chicago, actually going to one of a kind about seven or eight years ago and oh, yeah. seriously thought about pushing it into the river. I looked to see if I could unlock the gate <laughs> and I looked about back. It was already backed up. I'm not kidding. Like I was like, this is like seven or eight years ago. There's not cameras everywhere. I'm like, I think I can roll this fucker into the river. So... <laughs> I don't know. It just, it's the crap that we deal with and it's how we keep the, the wheels on the wagon literally on a, on a weekly, daily, monthly basis. It's, it's tough. Yeah. And I thought, you know, just being in the van with the trailer hooked up and just heading east was the end of it. But then I had the next issue was making it through the mountains and we're slowly climbing up and the snow starts to fall. And we weren't near the top. And I'm like, this isn't going to get better going up. But what do you do? You can't turn around. By the time I get to the top of the mountain, couldn't see the road. Uh, All the signs are blinking. Icy, icy, icy. Take it slow. Oh, I tell you, I'm so glad to be home. And I'm glad to be home for a while. (laughs) That's all I have to say. You were able to find yourself a Fairfield Inn and an Applebee's. That that was the that was where I was at La Quinta. We that damn Applebee's got so much business off of us. I don't care if people hate on me because we ate there. We were trapped. We had nowhere else to go. We had to eat at the Applebee's like seven nights in a row. Where's that show? (laughs) You're in Palm Desert, California, and you've got like all these gourmet restaurants, and you're stuck in a parking lot with a. It was pretty sad. (laughs) I know. Well, we we could have like Ubered everywhere we wanted to go but that uh you know at the end of the day it was like rest and get ready for the next one it was it was stressful Uh, it was a hard one yeah that's that's a hard one i've got uh i don't know i say it's a hard one coming up with one of a kind but i do like setting up shop and i I always like going into that show and setting Mm -hmm. up for four days you know they give you full day wednesday to set it up you as long as you let the union guys do their job they're happy and they load all your stuff in and you set it up and they load it all out I remember that one. I remember they show up in those big flatbed carts up to your truck yeah. and you just hand them this stuff and it all gets pushed right up to your booth. Yeah. Go park your stuff. I've got a great spot. Uh, it always ends up being kind of like holiday kickoff, you know, kickoff before the holidays. I've got a great neighborhood. Uh, Greg Turco is my next door neighbor and he's a good buddy of mine and Michael Schweigman's around the corner. So we're going to hang out. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, it's going to be a big time. I, I'm not... Uh, to be honest, super psyched about wearing a mask for four days. Mm-hmm. You know, I might have to might have to, to thatch my beard down a little bit in order to be comfortable for that amount of time. 
Yeah, is it a requirement of the show that that everyone has to wear masks? You have to be vaxxed and masked uh, or show a negative test within the last, whatever, week or 10 days, something like that, in order to get in. So that's Chicago, downtown Chicago. So I can't imagine that's going to cut down on attendance all that much. Where do you stay there? Do you stay in town or do you go like out in the suburbs? In town. I'm going to stay right there at the show. Um, the one that has the skyway, distance. like where the skyway no, they that one's closed. Mm-hmm. They did away with my favorite hotel, um, which is a huge bummer. I love staying there. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, I found $140 for the entire week mm-hmm. for parking. For the whole week? In downtown Chicago on West Kensey, right there next to the Mart. Wednesday through Monday, 140 bucks solid. Like that's it. Yeah. So that's not the one down by the the chocolate factory, or is it? Yeah, it is. I yep. had uh, I got to the van after doing the show one night parking there. Obviously, that was like 10 years ago, so it's probably a whole different scene down there. But somebody had actually punched out the keyhole of my van, and what? I didn't realize it because I had used the fob to get in. So I get in the van and I. So you found a big dump on the dashboard? No, I didn't. That did not happen. But I turned <laughs> not that him, time. My dad had, was there helping me, and I said, "Hey, Dad, grab the GPS out of the glove compartment." He opens up. He goes, "It's not in here." I'm like, "It's right in there." It took me a, a good five minutes to realize someone had broken in and stole all the contents of our shit in the in the <sighs> van, and, and then I had to figure out how to lock it up the next day. You know, you can't just leave the van where someone could come in and drive it off. So yeah. that was a that was a crazy scene down there. Chicago can be a challenge, but you talk about that chocolate factory, and there is nothing like going to downtown Chicago right at the beginning beginning of Christmas time and the holidays are just kicking in and everything is decorated and downtown Chicago's chocolate factory is kicking off this melted chocolate beautiful smell you're walking around in a city and you're like what's that smell it smells so good and then you realize it's hobo vomit and like, oh, oh god not oh, in this no. case though but right no this I mean like you know you kind of like you do a sniff and you're kind of like a little quick sniff and you're like uh yeah, is that a good one or is that a bad one? It's like, <laughs> but it's a good one. It's legit good. My so, first time anyway. doing the one of a kind show, Oliver was in a stroller. That's how long ago I did it. And wow. I remember my mom was going to babysit him in the hotel. She's such a huge Oprah fan. And so we're setting up and she reads our bio and she looked over at me and she said, Douglas. Oprah would like this. I'm like, Mom, Oprah's not going to be coming to this show. <laughs> no, no, Oprah's not coming to One of a Kind. <laughs> one of a Kind is, I, I love that show, but you're never sure whether you're going to get salsa and porny potholders next to you or uh, $10,000 paintings and sculptures. It's it's a it's a mishmash. It is. Everything's there. You can say what you want about one of a kind, and it has some some great parts and some bad parts. It doesn't work for everybody, but Kathleen Hogan runs a tight ship, and I've always loved that show. She has been there for a long time. She was there back when we did it. I remember that. So that's cool. Yep. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope you have great sales. I have so many memories of doing that show, and it always felt like it. Like you said, you set up shop. It really takes a lot out of you. It's a long one, you know. Um, Actually, a funny story about that one. I was across from these folks at One of a Kind for what seemed like an eternity, and they had this line. Every time somebody walked up to to their booth, they would greet them, but then they would they were talking about these whirly gigs that they made hanging up from the ceiling, and they go, 
they soothe your soul and make you smile. And I heard that the entire weekend. And I tell you, by the end of it, I was ready to just not be next to them. Yeah, I remember doing Fort Myers one time and there was this great little old guy next to me, but every single person that walked into his booth, he goes, hello, hello. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, the first time I heard it, I'm like, it's kind of funny, but like, you know, hello, hello. I, it makes me insane. I hate it. Yeah, by the end of it, you're like... Yeah, it wasn't even the end of it. It was like 15 minutes later, and we're like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so, yeah. He was actually... It's an interesting story. That dude was uh, one of the first digital artists that I've ever seen on the scene. Like, he was doing oh. um, tablet painting. He was a little, a little old guy, and and uh, his he was doing tablet painting and, and printing them out, doing high-res stuff, and... I mean, they were abstract and, and kind of, um, I don't know, it was interesting to see that uh, before, you know, I think he had probably juried under mixed media at the time because there wasn't a digital category. Mm-hmm. But, right. uh, you know, uh, interesting to see that. Speaking of digital, we've been talking a lot at uh, NAIA about the whole digital category thing. We've had some artists reach out who are in the digital category and kind of take a notice that the definition is getting a little like fast and loose and we're starting to put a little attention towards that whole digital category. Well, it's uh, interesting. It seems to be the um, subject du jour. Uh, People in our industry, a lot of times look for a loophole and the loophole Mm -hmm. that they're finding in the digital category is, Oh, well, if I scan my analog shit into the computer, it becomes digital. So might as well just Mm -hmm. jury under digital with my watercolors or my oils or my mixed media and call it digital. That way I can sell whatever sack full of art in a plastic bag that I want. Isn't that technically called a reproduction, not a digital art category? Well, every single piece of digital art is a reproduction, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Which is why they're finding that loophole. Yeah, and it's getting some people then even heated. You have the old schoolers talking about, you know, revisiting the whole topic of digital, saying, well, if there can't be an original made by hand, if it's made by a machine, then you start getting people real hot about, you know, having opinions one way or the other of of its validity as being a category. I know printmakers, uh, one in particular that uh, is particularly vocal uh, about that. You know, she doesn't want it as a category. I personally think mm-hmm. the digital is a category. You can't shut it mm-hmm. down. Um, there, there's some beautiful digital artwork being made. Uh, my daughter is an artist. I mean, she's a kid. She's 11, oh. but she's super talented. And she's sitting there in Procreate making really cool stuff. Of course she is. <laughs> of right. course she is coming from artist stock. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I mean, she's driven too it's not just a matter of kids having talent or whatever but she really wants to create and that's what she wants to do it on she she prefers that but what's the program you're talking about procreate uh it is something that you can draw and paint on your tablet or or computer and and i've seen a lot of the some of the top digital artists kind of using that one but it's a really Uh, it's kind of like photoshop um okay but it's even more in tune with uh, the creatives as opposed to the eggheads. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyway, the loophole is a short-sighted business model. Um, if you're going to go out there and lie and 
try to cheat and game the system, then eventually your neighbors are going to get pissed off. I, I was at a couple of big shows this year and saw a lot of plastic bags walking by when I'm not allowed to have reproductions. Mm-hmm. It makes me mad. One of them in particular, I was set up next to a friend of theirs at mm-hmm. uh, Bayou. And I was like, hey, is this person, uh, they're going, I guess it's pretty cool. They're, they've discovered how to go digital. And he was laughing. He's like, they're not digital. They're completely analog. They're just scanning it in and, and printing it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> wait, till I, wait till I broadcast that to the masses. There you go. <laughs> We've got our mouthpiece right here to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's. For me, uh, in what I do, I feel a little bit out of touch on the whole 2D aspect of things because every single thing I make, I have to put the glass blowing pipe into the furnace, gather out glass. Everything I touch is an original. And so I don't have the knowledge of other ways of creating. And I do think that the creation of a piece of art can be made using mechanical means of a mouse on a computer screen just as well as if it's a pen at the end of our fingertips you know what i'm saying creating an original piece of work and then digitally scanning it to get into that category is misrepresenting the intention of that category in my opinion i don't know that it's just your opinion i think Mm. that's just right okay it's just a it's a really short-sighted business model well and this might be a good conversation for the show directors listening out there to kind of just take a look over their categories and make sure that they really are getting the legitimate ones in their shows and and know that this is something we're taking a closer look at yep uh what else we got on the docket we're talking to dylan straczynski this week um we actually are recording the preamble pre-interview this week because of my limited time so um yeah i'm looking forward to hearing what you guys talk about here in a couple of days and i do know that he produced a a film about the artist's life yeah is that something you guys are going to talk about uh we'll get into that for sure we'll talk about the film we'll talk about music it's going to be an interesting talk because i love dylan and he's a good friend but he and i hate talking shop so it'll be interesting Uh to actually see what we talk about because um you know i just kind of want to break the mold a little bit on this one and just 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 run with with talking to dylan we don't really only always just have just have to talk shop because us artists there's so much more to us and our lifestyles that that make who we are. It really, it isn't just about the creation of our work. What we're interested in, and it shapes us and what we want to make, just as much as just the where did you go to school and what influenced this body of work. You know, I mean, I think I think it's important that we we take those different conversations absolutely it'll be interesting to talk to him because he and i have had conversations about how much we hate art shows so (laughs) (laughs) let's see where this one goes i don't know i can't promise anything i found it kind of interesting that you and i both on our own i had said hey you know i got to talk to helen gottlieb at a show when we were comparing notes of who we'd like to talk to we thought this would be a good one-two punch since uh helen and dylan are partners so you've got Helen on the docket after this? I'm talking to her next week after Thanksgiving. So uh, we saw each other out in California here. So we've got that lined up coming up next year, too. Nice. You got big plans for Thanksgiving? We are going to do several Thanksgivings with all the little subgroups between uh, lots of members of the family. But uh, hmm. we'll go next door to my my in-laws who are recovering from COVID. So we are talking about you wearing masks at... Uh, one of a kind. I keep feeling like this thing is over, right? This thing is over, huh? 
And then, you know, my in-laws who are double vaccinated come down with COVID and it has not been an easy road for them. That's terrible. Um, I'm going to try to get a boost on my way to one of a kind, just uh, stop in one of those uh, silly states where they don't actually want it and and uh, gobble up one of their shots. It's weird. Like it's, uh, we have a lot of cases of COVID, but a lot of very high vaccination rate, but it's impossible to get the boost. Um, my appointment in New Mexico, just in case I can't get it on the road is in January. So, um, could, oh, you're kidding. No, I set up that appointment. It was like, would you like, you know, the local pharmacy couldn't get me in until like February 22nd. And then the, uh, the, the gigantic, box behemoth that that also gives shots was was uh, able to give me one in january is it because they just lifted that anyone can get the booster now and so they're just flooded uh new mexico is filled with a lot of liberal people in the big cities so um mm -hmm. you know i hate that it's politicized but a lot of the the more educated people are tend to get want to get the vaccination and there tend to be a lot more educated people here morons don't want it i've heard is that's that's the case <laughs> yeah okay well <laughs> <laughs> sorry everybody i told you i was in a shit mood <laughs> hey folks another real quick thing the naia has a survey that's going around the survey that you fill out it is only to help you to help us to strengthen our voice and to uh, give us one particular direction about what we do and don't like. Don't worry about splitting hairs about whether you think the this question is worded right. Answer it as quickly and easily as you can and yeah. give the best answer that you possibly can. Yeah, just get get through it. I mean, a lot of these questions may seem like, what's the point of that? But uh, the, the engagement committee headed up by Court Anderson and a lot of us have worked on this because these are questions coming directly from the shows. And they're saying, well, if you want to get like, let's say this end result, uh, these are some of the data points that we need to hit to give to our investors, to our stakeholders. Um, so we would really like to see the responses to these surveys high. So we have enough data to provide them. So it actually would make a difference. Right. Make your voice heard, folks. Answer that NAIA survey. You can find it on a bunch of the different Facebook groups, Art Fair Review, the NAIA Forum, um, Art Girls, I think, has it, mm -hmm. uh, all the all sorts of different places. So, And if you're a show director, please share that to your artists as well, you know, just to spread it even further if people aren't hitting these different groups. Yep, you have until the 30th to fill it out, folks. So uh, as this comes out, I think this might be your last day to fill it out. So do it today. Remember last week we talked to Jay McDougall? We forgot a topic uh, there, Will. We forgot a topic to talk to Jay about. What's that? The artisanal peg legs. We only talked about that the first half of the podcast, <laughs> of the season of the podcast. And we forgot to bring up to Jay about his line of peg legs. Did he have a series of, of pegs at the at La Quinta? No, he did. He did ask me, though. He goes, I really wanted you to bring up the peg legs. And you never brought up the peg legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should have talked to Jay about the peg legs. I, and I, I'm a little disappointed that he hasn't paired with a leather worker in order to have those available. But luckily, I do not need one yet. So uh, <laughs> I dropped the ball on that one. But I sure am grateful to everyone throughout this whole course of this podcast. It's been, you know, it's Thanksgiving week. I had a lot of time in the van just thinking about what we've worked on this year. And I've just been so thankful to everybody 
who we've talked to who've shared their stories and we're like learning from each other. And it, it's just, it's, this has been really a fun project. It has been um, absolutely giving thanks to those guys and, and creating those kind of bonds a little bit deeper. Keena Crow, who you interviewed, I think, what, second yeah. or third time out, um, said some really kind words to us about the podcast and, and special thanks go to her for mentioning that it kind of those kind words keep us going. And, and I appreciate her honesty and learning a little bit more about her from, uh, you yeah. know, costumes at pornos and <laughs> <There you go. laughs> everything else so it's well you know it's, it's and just ride. thinking about the different stages of what we've gone through this year you know when we started this we weren't even leaving the house we were still like we didn't have a vaccine yet and you know i had kind of in la quinta i had some conversations with people saying you know just wondering taking people's temperature saying is this still interesting because at first the podcast was really all about having that connection with people because we were stuck. We were at home. We didn't see each other. And I did get the feedback that that people are saying, even though they are seeing each other, these are the deep dives into each other's stories that we may know them peripherally. We might know their work down the road from us or in another booth, but here we get to really know more about it. So that kind of gave me some renewed energy coming back, you know, after this long trip away from home and thinking about three months at home before I go off to the next show and, and just thinking about, you know, moving forward with this project. You have energy because you don't have a show. You, you texted me and you're like, well, when, when's a good time to, to talk about the podcast? I'm like, um, now's a good time for you to shove this podcast. (laughs) 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 I could feel you. I feel you. I know, man. I know. Kind of in the the midst of the same deal of like getting ready for that big September. But, um, I have, I have high hopes for, for one of a kind and armadillo my last two of the year. So we'll see how it goes. You're going to kill it. You're going to do great. You've got some great work and and I'm really excited for you. So terrible work. You still don't have terrible. terrible. Oh, I reached you at your self-loathing point. Yeah, I see. It is. I just finished the meeting. So I'm like, ah, oh, oh, this sucks, and I suck for making it. That's where I'm at right now. Well, there is a job opening at Home Depot if you want. Uh-uh. No, Applebee's. I'm getting a corporate sponsorship. Hey, uh, let's get right into the interview. We have no idea what I'm getting ready to say to Dylan Straczynski, but I'm excited to talk to my my old friend there from the Art Show Road Warrior Circuit. So uh, let's get right, right into it, Douglas. Let's do it. Here is Dylan Straczynski. I'll clear it up when I talk to him. I think I've been cracking open one of your beers over here. So here's Dylan. (laughs) This episode of the Independent Artist Podcast is brought to you by Zap, the digital application service where artists and art festivals connect. Well, I've been getting notices from shows this week that I need to jump on and pay for my booth, but I'm not at home at my desk. So I really enjoy that I'm able just to flip open my phone. (laughs) Flip open your phone. Do you have a flip phone, Doug? Yes. Does Zap work on your flip phone? Because that's impressive. But I turn on my phone, I log into Zap, and I'm able to buy my booth right there on the spot, and I can make sure I get that double booth or that corner booth I'm looking for, and I don't get stuck somewhere I don't want to be. Quit talking about double booths, because if those shits are sold out by the time I come to get to them, I'm going to be mad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I sure do appreciate that with Zap, we're able to keep up on our business with the shows on the road using our mobile device. Today's episode of the Independent Artist Podcast is the first of a three-part series 
where we dig deep into a dynamic art show partnership. Dylan Straczynski and Helen Gottlieb are from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Dylan is a mixed media artist and Helen a printmaker. Today, Will sits down with Dylan and we get to hear about his process. Welcome to the show. Oh, all right. Dylan, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to have you. Yeah, th- thanks for having me. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you basically because I'm in a spot during the podcast where I'm like, I'm tired. I don't want to talk about art shows. <laughs> You and I, when we get together, I don't know that we've ever actually sat down and talked shop. We don't talk business. We're talking movies and music. Right, right. Well, you know, because art shows are interesting only up up to a point. And then it's just the kind of nuts and bolts of everyone's life. And it's not always that interesting. (laughs) Or it gets repetitive. It's like, so you you went to school and then somebody showed you how to do an art show? Yeah, you know, I went to school and I wish someone showed me how to do an art show. That, that's part of the problem. <laughs> well, how did you? I mean, I mean, I am going to ask you that. How did you jump into doing this? Uh well, I, I, I don't really have a very interesting origin to it. I don't think. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know how you talk to some people and they have these these amazing backstories and they did all this great stuff in their career. Sure. And, and, and yeah, I'm not one of those at all. <laughs> I, like, like with Cliff, I like when he was talking about like he went down to an art show and he was like, I can do better than this shit. Sure, <laughs> like looking well, around like well, I, I can do this. Well, be, because I, I mean, I always knew what an art fair was. Right. You know, it's not like, oh, an art fair. I mean, I've been I'd gone to art shows, you know, with my parents, little little art fairs and you know, they'd always buy like some pottery or something. So I, I, I knew that art shows existed, but they didn't really, they, they didn't have much ap- appeal to me as a young person for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't really see uh, art shows reflecting, you know, what my, my kind of artistic interest was. Well, and, do they now even? Uh, you know, some, somewhat, you know, they, they do to a degree, but even that is, it's almost like I've just developed an appreciation for a lot of things that I, I, I probably didn't have when I was younger. Sure. You know what I mean? But, I do. Yeah. You know, but because I went to the University of Michigan, you know, you have the, the art fair there. And with that, it just brings this big stigma. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, well, like explain it. Like how so? It, it has to do with, with a very, very old school kind of academic fine arts education right that i got yeah you know? they all right. kind of looked down on they always, they and they looked really down on it in our school because we had the big show right there yeah was, ann arbor you know no real artist would sell their artwork on a in a tent on the street and, <laughs> and all this and then they the local thing it's not art and it's not fair and it's blah, 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 and all that and right you know, I don't know. It kind of seemed like, like it might might be fun because, you know, it is long enough ago that the the Ann Arbor Art Fair was a little bit of a, little bit of a, a freak show. You know, yeah. I don't know how many people really can remember that anymore, but it used to be a really far out event. But, you know, I, I went to college. I ended up getting a, a fine art degree, even though I think I I tried to avoid it for a few years. Just to kind of um, avoid your your kind of natural skill set, or, or yeah, yeah, I think that's what it was. Well, I'm also 
really a contrarian, obstinate, <laughs> anti-authoritarian personality. And uh -huh. if whatever you expect, I'm going to do, especially when I was a young person, I'm not going to do it. You know, don't bother right. telling me what to do because I'm just going to be a horrible person to deal with. Which makes you perfect for... Um I don't know, doing this line of work because I mean, I find myself completely, <laughs> I've had jobs. I've had pretty good jobs, you know, art director stuff and uh, magazines and, and things. Mm -hmm. I, I'm completely unhirable now. Like I have right. that tendency, but now my, you know, my, my fuck you uh, meter is spiking in the red, like mm -hmm. <laughs> all the time. All so, so you kind of, uh, did you ever have jobs like that? Did you ever? I mean, I was always a pretty good employee, oddly at most jobs. I had mm -hmm. as a very, very young person going way back. It's <laughs> I, that Midwest work ethic. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I had two paper routes nice. as a kid for seven years. I was, I was that's, the longest running <laughs> paper boy. That's amazing. I, I did. I, and I then, did my fair share. Of, yeah, I, I slung papers for sure. I did that. And then I, right around the holidays of my last year of high school, I got a job at this guitar store and I proceeded to then work at that job for almost four years while I went to community college before I transferred to the University of Michigan. Was that just backing your, your music habit? I wanted to get into yeah, your music. Yeah, too. I, that was all, all part of that, you know. Well, here's the thing. This is, a, I, I was having a conversation with this, with, about this with my best friend from growing up recently, who is a, a also a, an art an art guy. He has an MFA and he's a, a filmmaker and a director and writer and educator oh, and all yeah. that. And and he was commenting on the arts education as looking back and kind of always having this feeling that like it was somehow remedial. You know, I don't I don't know if you yeah ha, yeah no I'm with you, but like the the way the art itself was or or. Like I mean, so. just, just as a, as a, uh, like an educational path, right? you know what I mean? I did. And so maybe I kind of had that in the back of my mind, but it was always my natural thing. You know, I really liked just really drawing really was my, my basic thing. Yeah. You know, like I, I still don't, I don't call myself a painter, even though I often make things with paint, but that's a, that's a technical thing. <laughs> just, that's is that of, more of just how you consider yourself though? That's just how I consider myself, but it, it goes back to this very, this really specific kind of old school fine art education mm -hmm. that I ended up getting at the university of Michigan where I, I ended up um, and I majored in printmaking and sculpture. I don't think many people have, double fine art degrees but yeah. but i do and anybody that knows me probably shouldn't be surprised because i i <laughs> kind of do so many things yeah but uh it was one of these things where i got to the end of college and i went so, i went to college so long like i should have a master's degree <laughs> <laughs> but I, and and by the end it's like they couldn't not give it to me because i had done so much of of each each subject right you know i i discovered I was introduced to printmaking at my community college my second semester of college at all. So I was, I was a very young person. I was probably never a terribly like uh, 
I think there was probably nothing very auspicious about about me as a art student. I don't think I was pretty average. Well, um, I, that's interesting to hear because, uh, like, I the way you kind of are on like the art show circuit, you definitely have a, a certain aesthetic, and um, I'd say, and kind of like the way that I think of you is like um, uh, just a certain integrity to it and a refusal to change or to sacrifice that integrity. Well, I, I think it comes with whatever my personality disorder is <laughs> and and my education which however often i will talk about it and in, in kind of i'll be very critical of it because I, I don't know if it was the best version of an art such education for me uh-huh. in retrospect which means it doesn't you can't say stuff like that but well um everything kind of gets you to where you are but i i yeah. know what you mean i i went the going through an illustration department and instead of fine art uh it you know it kind of the the school kind of caters to the to the top guy and they the top guy was a painter and i just wanted to do like he was an amazing like he wanted to do medical textbook stuff and that's what mm. he, he's going on to do but I'm, I'm over in the corner like drawing pen and ink cartoons and it's it's like eh, you know i don't really want to you know don't talk to me i just want to do my shit but um, so I don't think it was the best for me either. But at the same time, it got me to where I am anyway. You know, it's a it's a weird road, circ- circuitous route, but still get you there. It It is a weird road, circuitous route. But uh, interestingly, uh, actually, Helen was studying scientific illustration mm-hmm. until I actually introduced her to printmaking. Oh, and man. So you guys met she, in school? Well, so, yeah, we, we met in school. And, and she, uh, I, I think she just like kind of dropped that and maybe had one more class to go before she could have majored in it. <laughs> right. And then she got into printmaking and, um, but anyway, so I, uh, you know, I, I went to U of M and it's an environment which at that time still like the fine art people, the professors there were really coming from like that, that ABEX background like they were the they were they've all retired since i graduated now in the last you know 20 years but they were the kind of old guard students of all of these old abstract expressionist artists who had all these really high-minded high-brow attitudes about painting and and it's all very de-skilled and super snotty Mm -hmm. and and as far from you know, any kind of commercial art or commercial potential or all of that just doesn't exist. Right. But from that, you do pick up and you you do gain an understanding of like really what art is, sure. you know, like the kind and, of and, the larger, larger scale, larger scope right. of focus, I guess, of, of art. But here's, here's the thing that was weird about it for me is that when I started going to college even when i started going to the when i transferred to u of m like i didn't know very much about contemporary art you know very very little and i had you know grown up kind of looking at you know basically like abstract expressionist art and pop art which my father was really into okay was he, uh, were your folks into art? Like, were they artists too, or just what they well, liked? To look yeah, at? no, my, my parents are kind of interesting because my, my dad, he actually has a, 
a master's degree in aquatic biology. Wow. So, you know, I kind of grew up in the science household, even though I, I, I really was not like, I didn't really have the patience to sit there and like really excel at that stuff. Right. As, I, I just did. I mean, I, I definitely think I'm smart enough and I like science and stuff. But as a, as that a child, I was, drive, yeah. I just couldn't do it. Like it was really hard to hold my attention. It like took all of my power to like get through and, and just be a, be a decent student. I didn't want right. to, you know what I mean? It's really I hard. Like I, you, I had pinhole I, camera vision oh, on stuff oh, I liked, God. you know, and it was like, here's what I like. And then the stuff that right. I didn't, it's like, look, you're getting A's and D's. Like, yeah. could you, could you kind of, you know, middle of the road would be great. Right. But, right. uh, but, but like, I, I also couldn't like finish it, like a project and see it through until I was like mm. in my twenties. Like I was just too wound up and, and, spazzy and stuff yeah. you know I, they, the only thing i drugged could, you nowadays yeah well I, I wasn't like a trouble kid i just didn't want to do it right you know what i mean it's the only way i can describe it and then but i got into like playing music and and all of that and and that was the one thing where i could really just kind of zone out on for for days and days nice. and that kind of you know and i have a, some other theories about what that does in our life but you know, so anyway, so, but I had my natural drawing abilities and all that. And I go to, go to college and I enter this, this really high, highbrow art environment that is strange to me because the kind of art I was interested in was, was illustration. You yeah. know, I, I knew about comic book artists. I knew about illustrators, you know, yeah. um, I love, love comic art. I still, it's really the roots of of me as as an artist i think i think so too i mean you bring a certain uh sense of humor to fine art right and and uh and i also was really into like filmmaking you know yeah and i i had all those books about like the making of star wars and and i had like the you know like the dick smith monster makeup book and i had the tom savini you know, gory horror movie makeup yeah. book and all that stuff. And so I understood that the people who made that, that did that stuff were, were artists. Right. I love looking at like concept art for, oh my God, yeah. for movies and all that. And I, Gloria guy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Me too. That, that was, that was what artwork was to me. Right. And then I entered this, this really, this kind of highbrow abstract expressionist intellectual art world. And all of that is just like, get this out of here. What is this? You know, <laughs> right. this, this is all not the things art. You like suck. All the things I like suck. I remember one day I was in a class. I, I had a juxtapose magazine cause that, that was out by then. Yeah. I was looking at this, this spread of like Robert Williams paintings, which are, <laughs> those, those things are amazing. Yeah. I don't, they're just, I, I can't, you know, and I'm like, wow, this is great. And this teacher's like, this is, get this out. Of, this is shit. What is this? And it like, this isn't painting this, uh, you know, and all <sighs> this, uh, you know, and even though I kind of resented that attitude, yeah, I, I still picked up those values. And so it, the values of your professor that thought that the, the stuff that you liked was terrible, was but terrible, that's, but that's still kind of the stuff you wanted to do it's still kind of the stuff that I wanted to do. Yeah. And so, you know, I like all of that, but I'm also becoming more interested in this kind of fine art with a cap capital F yeah. world. 
more fine just, art and less rat fink. More fine art and less rat fink. Um, and I, for a long time, I I couldn't. It's like I I couldn't reckon the two things. You know what I mean? I was I do, so yeah. It takes a while. It's, it's like I'd become a a a kind of this kind of like fascist intellectual about art. Yeah. And and that really it like I think it became a handicap that I carried way past college for a long, long, long time. And it made it very, very hard for me to, to get comfortable with the kinds of things that I'm interested in. And it made well, the it kind difficult. of things you're interested in and then also kind of the venue in which and uh, venue where you're selling too. I mean that's right. gotta be a hard right. place to you know, not to, we're just, just a warning to, to the listener. We're probably going to take a big dump on art shows later in the conversation. <laughs> <because> <laughs> one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. But, oh God. You know, I mean, it, it does, uh, it makes, it does make it difficult when you have that kind of aesthetic uh, selling in the venue where you're selling, because a lot of the times that doesn't exist uh, in, you know, or maybe it exists, but ex- it exists in every, you know, 20, 20th booth. Yeah, yeah. I think 20th would probably be a... It's really kind. Yeah, it'd be really kind. Yeah, but I mean, and, and everything I'm saying is kind of pointless now because there are so many examples of, of artists who are drawing from all of these areas. But I, I just, it's like I was so, I was just fully into the art school yeah. thing and into getting into that philosophy and like, and all of that. And took me a long, long time to really get out of it. And I didn't, I didn't even know that my school had like an illustration class. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I I didn't know if somebody would have said, Hey, you know what? I bet you should maybe get on this track and no, no one ever did, but it was kind of weird because like, I, I really didn't like the commercial art stuff. I didn't like graphic design you know and i i didn't i took one semester of like an industrial design class and i was like this is a drag i don't i don't want to do this yeah you know it's like super anal yeah super anal it's like i'd rather do the fine art thing and then go you know take some interesting academic elective classes on on something that i would prefer to learn about yeah you know but that's the other thing when you're at an institution like when you're at like the number one public institution your your attention is really divided right you know you're not just at art school all the time but um, i mean that's the idea too you take those intellectual classes you take the classes that aren't necessarily part of your your major and then yeah you never know what you're going to draw from later on and totally what, what's going to spark your For brain sure. it, you know and i'd done so much college before i went there you know i'd had like science and all of this stuff and i got had my algebra classes that I had to try really hard to get a D in and all of that. And, you know, but no, but anyway, back to, to, you're talking about my, like my parents. So this is really important. So even though my father was a biologist, he never actually worked in that field. Hmm. Um, And what my, my dad ended up doing is uh, he, he became a sign painter. Wow. Yeah. And he's a, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, is a part of that secret brotherhood of hand lettering and painting guys. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. uh, Talk about anal retentive in the, and those kind (laughs) of, you think that has something to do with your dislike of graphic design when you're in school? Yeah. Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah. Because, um, 
now everybody is back to appreciating that stuff and thinks it's really cool. But, you know, my, my father worked really, really hard, you know, both of my, my parents did. And he built this business, you know, really all, all through the 80s. And like, we're not, we were not affluent at all. Should say that, you sure. know, my dad would like, he worked for like a cleaning company and he would like be out like waxing the floor at 7-Eleven all night. Yeah. And then during the day, he'd be painting signs and building that business and that that really characterized like an entire decade. Like that was the eighties. Like yeah. he started that, he started that when we moved to Northern Michigan and I mean, uh, the hustle though, to, to keep, yeah. to keep the wheels on and, and mm-hmm. do all of those things. Yeah. So I just saw somebody who was working really, really hard yeah. all the time, you know? And then there was that, you know, the early impact of you know, like digital technology and, and that kind of thing was, when the vinyl sign lettering mm-hmm. machines, the plotters came out, yeah. which are ubiquitous now. Most people think that's what a sign is, but for a long time, it wasn't like that. And that, that started to really get its tentacles into his industry Yeah, and made it really hard for him to keep up just doing everything by hand. And people weren't appreciating that the craft side of that. Of course, you know, they mm-hmm. just wanted like everything in this country, they just wanted to get, something for cheap and eventually and this is really just about 30 years ago i think he had to do this he you know had to like buy a vinyl plotting machine and finance that and start having that as an option in his business and it just so i saw like the craft side of it wasn't really appreciated and this kind of lame technology was taken over and the whole thing just looked like really tough way to to make a living yeah you know so i could appreciate I appreciated the craft of what he did and I can't tell you for the life of me why I never learned how to do it probably because I was just too young and impatient during the years when I would have been around to do it well that's what we resist too (laughs) no exactly so so I did have that in in my background you know I knew that there were ways to to do art as a living um I think maybe his example was a little bit too blue collar Mm mm-hmm for even though that we're all working, like we work our asses off. I can't, I, you know, I don't think people realize it, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it just kind of all added up to a, a strange kind of outlook and, and attitude about, about artwork. And, and my mother had come from the theater. Wow. You know, and then Which, she, was she uh, still acting or, or did no, she, she, did wasn't, she, she wasn't an actor. She actually did technical direction okay. yeah. in theater. And then she loved that know, aspect of it. I got, did theater, got a, you know, growing up in high school. Yeah. All in a you little know, bit. I, I think I probably would have done that if I'd grown up in a different community. I, I didn't really grow up in a very, uh, like, very ex- <laughs> accepting place, I guess. <laughs> sure. That's Michigan, not, not, uh, not, not so welcoming in the, in the arts, maybe. Oh, no, definitely down here for sure, but yeah. not, not so much up in Northern Michigan. It was mm-hmm. a weird place. So I finally, I get out of college, got to the end of school and then I made, you know, I'd ended up making this tiny little body of work that I, I, I thought was good. Yeah. You know, the sm- small little group of prints and some, some metal sculptures. And I had no idea what I was going to do 
when I graduated. They never teach you how to sell it. They, they never like, teach you how to sell it. Yeah. I didn't didn't have the commercial background. I was kind of burned out on school. I felt like I'd reached this point of maturity pretty late. So I I didn't leave undergrad with like a super great portfolio. You know, I had a, f- a few really nice things that I, I still am proud of, you yeah. know, but not, you know, nothing that demonstrated, you know, somebody who, who had a a really great, thoroughly conceived artistic identity that they were going to walk into some MFA program and really be right. amazing. And I, I didn't really want to do that just, just then yet. And I, I look at my bank account and I'm thinking, okay, I'm about to graduate and I have enough money to live for precisely two weeks. And I just started working on jobs, you know, and just 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 job jobs, jobs yeah. just service industry jobs and That's, job jobs and just grinding it out and sort of you know i briefly for a while subscribed to that idea that like oh i'll i'll make artwork in my spare time while i do these <laughs> jobs which it does not work no, it, it does, never it's does. not it never does it's not possible you won't do anything yeah you have to set yourself up to to do something else so all i did for a, a few years really was just doodle and sketchbooks and kind of get frustrated with things. But shortly after that, you know, Helen graduated from college. Is she a little she's bit a, younger than you? So she's yeah, still she's in. actually five years younger than me. Okay. So thank started. God you were in school for a really long time or you would have right. right? Well, it's, it's also, yeah, true. Uh, and she also started college early. Okay. You know, she's one of those, those people she's, that she's just a smarty pants. She, well, she couldn't wait to get out of her parents' house. And so she, you know, went to community college in high school and then started college when she was 17. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then I, I didn't, we got together later than that, but then she was finishing college and, you know, we knew about the Ann Arbor Art Fair, despite all this, the stigmatizing and stuff that we had, had been brought up with. We just said, Hey, wouldn't it be kind of fun to just to like go to art shows for one summer and just like travel around. Yeah. Did you have anybody that that talked to you guys about that or was it, did you just jump right in? No, this is the thing. We, we had nobody like (laughs) nobody like Helen had uh, a little bit of contact with that world um, growing up because she would go to like the, Ann Arbor Artisans Market when she was a teenager and like sell little things that she made, you know, like okay. candles and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then jumped on her, before it was stigmatized. Yeah, kind kind of, you yeah. know. Uh, but her, her and her sister would give hair wraps during the Ann Arbor Art Fair. <laughs> I would kill to see that. <laughs> yeah, when when they were when they were teenagers running across little Helen doing hair. Yep. She and her, actually they did that. They were still doing that. I like when I graduated from college, (laughs) that's amazing. It was because they, it was just one of their annual hustles that they would do, you know, and they did all kinds of things, but we thought, Hey, wouldn't it be fun to, you know, go apply to some art shows and drive around the country. And we, we didn't have a, I didn't. And I, I really don't think she did yet then. Uh, even though I suspect she may try to sell it a little differently. Yeah. We didn't really have a sense of the art show circuit as a thing where you could make very much money, let alone have that be a full-time job career. Like we did not understand that. And we didn't 
have anybody who did that who could explain it to us despite our proximity to the such a significant show yeah just a um, just a huge number of people just sitting over on the street just waiting to uh, yeah tell yeah you what and, to do, right and when you're walking out of school it's not like you're I mean, it's, it's not saying it never happens. You do a once in a while encounter people who are really, you know, very, very industrious and focused on that. Someone like, like Schwegman, right. You know, which is what is so amazing to, to me about him that he had that, that foresight and that maturity. And he had somebody who was there kind of to mentor him in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, that, that that's worth so much. It I mean, really to, is. I can't believe there are so oh few God. of us that have had that, you know? I know. Mentor. Like you would think that that would be part of the academic process, but so often they Ooh. just shut the academic process just shuts off the actual part where you learn how to do what you do and then sell it, uh, go yep. out. And I remember uh, my ex was uh, doing art shows uh, during a time like her, she had this class on Friday that was supposed to teach people how to sell their artwork and they docked her from going and because she had to leave and actually go and sell her artwork. <laughs> and she was like, look, I can trade off back and forth and teach the class how I'm doing this. Uh, I'm like, Oh, you're doing art shows. No. Yeah. That is uh, and they just docked her, her grade yep. instead of <laughs> like yep. the irony never uh, escapes me on that one. Just like, yeah, That's- fuck you for selling your work. You get an F. That's, that's, that's really, really funny, but no, but it's all, it's like you're, if you're on the fine art track at school, mm-hmm. you're supposed to just, you know, get an MFA, do the, the full academic track and then get into some, if you're lucky, some thankless grind where you're, you're doing, or, you know, juggle, juggling yeah. adjunct positions all over your region. Right. Or, or continue yeah. the, 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 the track of, of teaching other people how to not sell their artwork. That exactly. Have. Right. And then there's the, I don't, I can't really speak for how it works in the like graphic design world, mm-hmm. but most of the people I know, or many of them I know who were on that track had a little bit more of a, a direct path yeah, but uh, they yeah they they taught us how to do um i mean they you know you're in the illustration department your only friend is going to be the ups man <laughs> you know mm-hmm. you're gonna do your oh, drawing sure. and, and send it sure. off uh, you know it's like i should have somebody should have explained to me how to be an illustrator like i i i would have i would have done that yeah you know? it's a tough um, road too though it, i mean that, I, it's for sure it really is having <laughs> that especially uh, my personality having that that kind of introvert extrovert like mm-hmm. you know i i love the extrovert part where i get out on on the road and um i'm, I'm selling the stuff but then you get i get to the end of the show and i'm like god i want these people to stop looking at me so i can go home and just make stuff again oh god totally absolutely yeah but anyway so we we did this this one summer we you know and you don't get very far when you when you start out yeah you know we were i'm trying to think if we left our state at all i don't think we did our first art show was the Greek town art show in, in Detroit, which I don't even know if that goes on wow. anymore. Yeah. You know, this Never was back in, yeah, this would have been t- 2003. Yeah. And um, it's funny because pe- when people used to go to Detroit, they would go to Greek town. 
That was like the one little like safe couple of blocks <laughs> in downtown hilarious. Detroit. Yeah. yeah. Now, now no one goes to Greek town because there's too much cool stuff going on. So, no, so no one, <laughs> you no can't one goes there, there anymore. Yeah. No one goes there. You know, that's funny. Um, and the thing that we did, like we, we showed our artwork together in a booth. Same booth where you working on like Same a collective booth. body or you just, you had your no, stuff and she had we, hers. We just had artwork. We had like print, print, editions of prints that we'd made in school yeah. and we would just set them up there on the wall and, and sell them. Um, you know, she, she generally outsold me by a substantial margin, but <laughs> that's, you know, that jumps ahead too. I was going to ask you about, the, about that kind of dynamic with you guys and, and creating uh, separate bodies. And I mean, is there any in-house competition or do you just, no, not really. I mean, I think for a long time, I was always just really frustrated because I was like, yeah. why can't I make, I want to make as much money as you do doing this. And and sometimes I would, sure. you know, it, it, but she just had for her personally, I think she was more rewarded consistently at the beginning. So yeah. it allowed her to, to get a kind of a firmer grip on, on what she was doing and how she should do it. And at this point in time, I wasn't even convinced we would, you know, I thought maybe we'll just do this for a summer. We'll see what happens. I don't, yeah. I don't know. You know, no, no one has explained anything to us. No one, <laughs> no one even talks to you when you are people in your early twenties and you show up on the art fair scene and you don't, <laughs> right. and you don't know what you're doing and there's nobody else around, you know, like we didn't have friends in the art fair circuit for years because we were just kind of weird little outsiders yeah but you Plus know you're then, you're young you know yeah you're, you're together too yep. i don't know if you ran into this but like i don't know my you know you know susan my wife mm -hmm. and like she mm -hmm. and i get together and we're still technically newlyweds and so we right. kind of run into this thing where we're like well we're just centered on each other and it's harder right. to make any kind of friends and it's it's just I don't know. It, it definitely breeds kind of codependency. You create your own little world. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I That's a good point. I, I do think that happens. You know, we did it anyway. So we did a few shows. I remember we, there's an art fair in Flint up at the Flint Art Institute, which does exist and is, is actually a, a pretty nice little yeah. place to check out. Okay. If anyone's Good ever, friends up there ever in Flint. feels like they want to go to Flint, it's where, it's where I came from. Get yourself um, a, it's a big old glass of water. Yeah, big old glass of water. Um, and we got, we got it at like an award there. They gave us like $25. Nice. And we're like, oh my gosh, we won $25. <laughs> uh, you know, and we like went out and ate some hamburgers or something, you know. And, <laughs> and I don't remember if that year, if we went to Arts, Beats, and Eats yet. Okay. Or if we didn't do that until the next year. But we did that for a few years before we started going out West for Labor Day, which didn't start until I think the first time we did that was 2005, which is pretty quick. Mm. Now yeah, when that I think is about quick. it. Yeah. I, and, and we, we actually had a, an art gallery that year in over on the West side of Michigan in this town called Saugatuck. You guys opened up your own space. We did. We had our own little, little space there. And Helen applied to that show, the Sausalito show and got in and she ended up driving out there with a friend while I, I stayed 
back and just doing the gallery thing. You open up the gallery every day and I would, and I just would hang out in there and make artwork and we'd sell stuff. And, and during that time, it was kind of weird because I'd sort of reached this point where it's like, man, I don't really know, like, what's my subject? What am I going to do? You know, Mm -hmm. I don't have printmaking resources. I'd been doing metal sculpture. I didn't have a place where I could go work on that stuff. And I would just like sit in a room and in the house where I lived. And I just was like, well, I got to just get to work. And I just started painting on stuff. I just started painting and sticking things together with cardboard and just making these really kind of raw mixed media compositions. And I, just, and I started selling them. Cool. You know? I was like, oh, at all the right. gallery or this is at pro- the gallery. Yeah. You know, it all kind of led, led into that. And then that ended up being a springboard the next year doing shows that's how they I get remember. you that's how they get you you know i and mean I thought, that can it, it, did that feel like it, it kind of you found your spot there or you found your your body of work with that i i don't know that i found a body of work but i found a way of working and and just like the habit yeah you know what i mean and i made a body of work and and actually some of the stuff that i started doing around that time have actually have carried way through almost into the present you know, yeah, like some of the landscapes that I, I haven't, I've kind of intentionally stopped making them the last few years, but you know, where they're like really flat and like, it's like a hillside with scrape marks and then the little crude drawn little, little trailers and stuff. Right. You know, that, you, that's uh, still, that was, that stuff that started around that time. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then it was that kind of your, I mean, you started out kind of doing landscapes and, and lately you've kind of been pulling it in, going more suburban. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit playing with that kind of suburban feel and instead of the the houses or still some of the houses but like the fences yeah. and it's just an evolution of yeah. of that subject and that way of representing it and i'm really motivated by material you know and that that's that's why a lot of that stuff is like well the piece of mine that you got is a yeah. really good example i think it, probably one of the best out of the stuff I'd done over the course of the last year or so yeah um, i love that piece and i don't do cool. you always have um I, I the way I noticed it later, but you you took a little little uh, Iggy Pop reference to it, and you're always tied in with a little. You don't always tie it in with music, but um, I don't. I I'm really interested in in language, mm-hmm. um, the way that you can cr- create an image, and it looks like one thing or it means one thing to you, and then as soon as you attach words to it it's forever locked into that. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's less open to interpretation really. Yeah. It's less open to interpretation, even though people are still going to interpret it. It doesn't, you haven't made it that rigid, you know, but I, I like that process, you know? So I like to include language in the things I make. And a lot of times people call them titles and I used to call them titles and then I kind of stopped and I started calling them captions Nice. and they became more like very strange single panel kind of comic, like cartoon images to me, even though some of it is so like fine art, you would never confuse it in a million years with something that was derived yeah Yeah. but i I see it that way too but it's it also is a way kind of you'll see the imagery and then the caption will take you out of that what you thought it was and then make you think and 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 pull you off in another direction it's like well it's not 
it's not a dog in a yard, you know, it's like, Oh, is this a, is this the coyote and he's patrolling yeah, the, right, the, exactly. the yard? Is this what's happening or is, is, totally. it, is he inside? So I, right. yeah, that's, that's why I engaged with it. But and, uh, and he's a neighborhood threat because he might eat your cat. <laughs> right. So that's why it's called that, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm really, really motivated by that. And, and I, I, I like to have things that are there for me to respond to. Otherwise I get really bored and I start feeling like I'm just doing work and repeating something all the time. It's really the engine of me just getting anything done at all. Yeah. You know? And so I try to create this system and create an environment for myself where I, I have a lot of things laying around not now, cause I didn't always do it this way, but I try to have a lot of stuff laying around that I can start playing around with, you know, start cutting it up, start covering it with paint. Maybe I draw on it, blah, blah, blah. And I just make, just make things happen, you know, because I'm not, I've never been, and I struggle with it so much. I've just, I've never been like a production type artist where like the stuff you do, Mm -hmm. I can't believe how many of those things you draw, you paint. I'm like, how do you, are you able to keep doing this? Well, all the time. It's funny because like I do uh, do things again and the way that I, I get around it, like I'll change it up a little bit and I'll change mm-hmm. it until I'm like, okay, well this one, I have this interior bar piece that I've done again and again, right. and I've changed it a little bit till the point where I've almost found what the actual meaning of it is to me and the composition. And now I think I'm done. So I don't know how much, like, I don't know that I can do that again. Oh, again. Right. Yeah. So I, but I, I, I get it. I do appreciate that. My previous body of work was so production oriented mm-hmm. um, that, and I hated it and I swore I'd never do it again. And then I started telling these other stories with my work and then I'm like, oh, well, I, I can, maybe I'm not done with that story. Maybe I want to go back and right. And, and tell the rest of it or, or tell it again or tell something else about it uh, or in a different way. But I, I do see what you're doing has its own merit, but it, it can also be exhausting just because your brain gets tired of thinking it, of. Exactly. I, I was having a brief conversation about that. Well, I guess the week before last now, we went out to that La Quinta show, which there should be no art fairs in November. I just want to say that. Okay. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> driving across the country in November, That's- and we had we had great weather, just lucked out, except it was very windy because it's, you know, wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald season. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and but it gets dark. And then when you drive yeah. east, you drive east, it just is always dark. It just gets darker and darker. Yeah. The whole drive. I'm a oh little, I'm gosh. doing that, uh, the one in Austin, the, the, um, they're doing an outdoor version, sure. weekend version of the armadillo. So it's a, it's a, a low commitment, you know, three day way to test mm-hmm. that market for me. So I'm going and mm-hmm. trying that. And I'm like, God, it goes till five thirty, and it is, it is further south than I am, but I'm like, it, it still gets dark at five. It goes till five thirty. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, but night. anyway, yeah, it's crazy when you're in California. Yeah. It gets it's dark at like four thirty. Jesus. It's crazy. So know? yeah, you guys anyways, were out there, so you're having a conversation with we're, we're out there and I was talking to to uh you know the, the nicest man on uh, on earth, you know, Daryl Thetford. Yeah. You know, and we were he was asking me what I was doing, like, would you come out and do this show? Because you know, I was just there with Helen, you know, helping out and which is an understatement because I'm, I'm totally like, 
I, I'm, I'm the half of my job is, is working on her stuff. Um, of course. And I was like, nah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't really see this as my market. And I was saying, you know, I was thinking about maybe changing some stuff I've been doing or whatever. And I said, you know, like, and he, I didn't expect him to be surprised because, because I was, I was thinking I may not, this is a part of a bigger conversation. I may not do very many shows this coming year. Yeah. Even though I didn't do that many this past year, but, and I said, you know, I said to Daryl, I was like, it's the novelty is exhausting, you know? And when yeah. I start to feel like I'm not being very rewarded by the shows where I used to just kind of grasp at straws and try to contrive something, right? you know, now I don't have as much motivation to do that. And I'm just like, yeah, I just think I maybe just want to lay back a little bit and kind of reinvent what I'm doing. You know, well, I mean, I, when you're, when you're even, always saying something and you're not repeating what you're doing and you're always trying to have a fresh voice, I can see right. it's exhausting. It is exhausting. You, know, you don't have yeah. necessarily when I go into your booth, I don't necessarily um, oh. see the thing that you can kind of lean into when you're tired. You know, right. Yeah. You, you've, you've called it art fair gold before, but like, <laughs> you know, we can talk about art fair gold. And I do oh. want to talk about that maybe after your, your La Quinta, but taking kind of a break, like you don't have that. I don't know when you're, when you're like each painting is brand new every single time you're, you don't have a production body of work at all ever. There's no element of it. What do you lean on? And that's, I can see you needing right. to take a break. Well, the the thing for a long time it was always those those flat, scrapey landscapes. Yeah. Which I've I've made so many of. And I don't even know if people remember, but I, I've I've gone through, you know, like fifteen years ago I had like the proto versions of that stuff, and that was a whole big long body of work that went on and then I got to the end of it and I just want to make it anymore, you know? And yeah. Um but that that was kind of my thing I could lean into. And I would always do it in such a way where it was always a new version of of that that you know kind of that motif. Yeah. And then I just got to the point where I developed it as far as I could, or I felt or I felt that way anyway. And then they start to not be as good. Right. And then I start kind of seeing like, see, there people don't like them as much because they know, they can, I, or maybe they it's can just smell me. Smell that energy off of them. Yeah, I, I guess. And then I, I really want to by spending too much time on this, it's I'm kind of depriving myself of of working on new things. Yeah. Um, I know you were talking about that with that conversation with with Signe. Right. And that's she was what commission about, did, you know, commission yeah. work depriving the next thing that you're going to make. And, and sometimes it, well, that production or, or you know, the, the yeah. re, re, you know, I can't go to a show without but, this image, you know, but here's the, here's the thing that is different for, for me than uh, the vast, vast, vast majority of artists who do shows. There are a few exceptions and, and I will point them out, but because we didn't start doing this, we hadn't, you know, contrived the thing that we were going to sell. Right. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. It just developed. And to me, I just used it rather than a way to, and this sounds ridiculous as I say it, right? rather than as a business or a way to make a living, I used it as a way to be an artist. Mm. And that's a little bit 
of a different way to enter art shows. And on top of that, you have nobody. I mean, I didn't know any better. And I didn't, I thought that's what everybody was doing because that's what you have. You have access to this, this venue that doesn't require anything. You don't have to have some great resume or graduated from Yale or anything like that. You can just be an artist. Yeah. You know, you can and be that's, completely self-taught. You don't have to. Yeah. Every, and every kind of person is, is out there on the street doing that. And since I began from that position, it never seemed strange to me that I would do a body of work. It looks like this, this year. And then when you see me next year, it's going to have mutated into the next thing. Right. You, you, you know? Yeah. And, and I also more in more recent years, I've become more cautious about making sure I allow myself the wiggle room because sometimes it's almost like I, I get worse at it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's been, been times in the past where I had far, far, uh, I don't know, I, I guess cohesion or, or a lot of unity in the work that I was showing. Although I will say that this summer at the shows I went to, like when I was at Cherry Creek and all that, that, yeah. that was my favorite, my best looking art show booth. I thought That's, I'd ever had. Is I, it because I was, you had more time to create it? Uh, well, yeah, I did have a little more time. Um, but, but like most people, I, I didn't really take advantage no. of it. You know? <laughs> I definitely um, didn't. Yeah. No, but it just, I was in this position where I was the, like the previous year I had made some things and I was just starting to kind of dig in fully on the kind of the more assemblage leaning right. things. I mean, I don't call them collages because they're not collages. It's all assembled from things that I make. You know, it's all sure. my own materials. And right. Are you talking about your, your 2D work? My 2D work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not sculptures. That's another thing. But uh, I, I just was able to, to get it together and really, really get it on track and focus it with the time that I, I did work during the, you know, the kind of the lockdown period. Yeah. I and mean, it then, was a really cohesive body of work. Uh, I thought it. I thought it was. There was only a couple of them to me that I would have left out. Yeah. But then I was like, "Well, I'm gonna leave them because people are gonna like them, so they're gonna stay in the booth." Well, that's know? funny to me yeah. too because you were. I came over and we had decided to pick something up from you, right. and um, we we'd been by there several times, and then I'm like, "Well, shit, we better we better get it or it's gonna be gone because <laughs> it was a right. great show." But um, there was one piece that I was kind of looking at, and it's it's like an immediate. You know, it's a laugh, and you're like, "Nah, you don't want that. That's just art fair shit." <laughs> <laughs> and I, it just really—I was—it cracked me up. But it brought, it, and that'll be a good segue into art fair gold because we've talked about that. Right? What? Do, what? Do, what is? What is art fair gold to you? Art fair gold is this thing that is completely non-confrontational. Doesn't demand very much of the audience references often something that they're already familiar with you know so it's been it's been validated by by the greater culture and is it you know it's just this thing that's that's gonna sell really well yeah you know it's just like a really great art show product And, and i should say this before we continue i i'm not I don't hold any of this against anyone. It's all part of the all. hustle. It's all part of the hustle. Everyone's got to make a living some, yeah. somehow. And 
when I hear about people who do fantastically well at shows, yep. I'm, I'm actually usually impressed, you know, and, Definitely. And, and, and I often feel that, well, there's maybe I don't really have a personal interest so much in what that person makes, but there's something to learn from, from them. Definitely. You know? and, and there's always, it, it seems like once you get to a certain level and then you get, you know, if you're lucky enough to get to the next level, then you're always meeting these next people that are a little bit, you know, you're like, well, you know, you hear the rumors about, you know, it, like at La Quinta, don't they walk around with a big flag and, and announce once you've made it to a certain dollar level? They, I, if they did that, I, I didn't see them okay. do it. I have I, heard I, that that's happened. I don't know if they I, still do it. But, um, I, I'm suspecting they're not doing that anymore because nobody <laughs> really wants that. And and people who do make an awful lot of money, you know, they, they're they always like a little afraid that people are going to be like jealous or envious well, or gotta something. You got to be quiet about it, I think. You got to be know? quiet about it. You, yeah. You, I do know some of the artists that, that I hold in a, at a certain, like, mm -hmm. I know what they're doing. You know, I know yeah, the yeah. they're doing. And I, I do it, notice that they're like, the circle that they keep is is their circle. And it's like, well, they're kind of surrounding the wagons, you know, because they're, yeah. they're keeping those people yeah. close. Because it's like, you don't want to walk around. I mean, this is a weird business. You don't want to get out there and be like, Hey, I just made X amount of dollars. And we're like, fuck you. I want to make it, X amount of dollars. Right. So, well, yeah. I mean, well, here's the, the thing about that. That's, that's kind of silly is that everybody knows everybody else's business. Right. There, there's no secrets, you know, it, you, all you have to do is watch. Right. That's great. You know, those people are always doing something that is so far from what I'm doing that I, I, I can't compare myself to, you know, for like, we're talking about like, like Daryl, you know, that guy has really like, he has figured out how to make art shows work. You know, if you, right. you want to talk about it with, with him, you, you should, you know, Definitely. he has things to tell you. I wish I would have known him 20 years ago or something like that. Right. But, you know, and like I say, like, that's not how I entered shows. And, this is the thing you have to remember. And, and I, th I do think we should preface that often when we're at shows, tragically, I know I speak for myself, we're not often our best selves. It's true. You know, we're off, we often get there and we're already exhausted by the yeah. time we're set up there on the street. You have these expectations and people say weird things to you and <laughs> the day goes by and maybe it was great and maybe it was bad. And you, you're just, you're just trying to cope with yourself as a human who's a sensitive person because right. that's that's how you got here in the first place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I think it's really easy for people to mistake some of our the some of that pathos as as something that can appear like envious or or. Or some kind of shitty feeling, and and I, it's really I don't think it is for for people, you know, because everybody of people have different expectations, and they're doing different things, and even though we're all at the same venue, hoping for the same ends, we're some of us are playing slightly different games. They, yeah, you know? we definitely and, are, and you can't fault other people for their games. It's it's I think it's really cool to see that that game and uh, like i was in 
like when we were talking about Bayou City a few weeks back and and like Bayou City on you know the shows that that make you set up in the middle of the night beforehand Ugh, it's good well, lord they're 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 taking you off of your game you know uh the it's almost like you're you're starting out um completely depleted you know it's like mm, yeah well, yeah you know this is what you do though just suck it up and get used to it and like well yeah you're right also uh, you know i may choose something else next time you know it's yeah. just not gonna not gonna be you know the daryl thetford method is going to be to be rested and ready for the oh, absolutely of shows that you choose it, you know so it, it, it list, when he was talking to you about that on uh, as a guest on the show it really resonated with me because cherry creek was you know i sold some stuff there but i, I did not have the magic cherry creek show that a lot of people had yeah you know and and it was fine because Helen's show was was wonderful, you know, right. and it, and it all it's all the same same household. But by the time we got to that show, it's like we've been away from home for five weeks, mm. and it sounds like you know you think about what we did. Well, we went out like camping for a week up in Idaho, and you did this, and and that's a lot of fun. But when that's what you're doing between the work weekends which are always long you know and it's hot and you're living in your van sometimes and you're driving for days you get exhausted you, you know i do. i get really tired when i leave to go to shows i usually don't sleep very well for a long 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 time you know and and by the time we rolled into cherry creek with all that expectation that I remember it was pretty hot and stuff when we're setting up and, and oh, it was incredibly hot. There's the anxiety and, of like, is it going to work? Yeah. So there's all that, you know, you got to remember like, like I'm really setting up three booths. Yeah. <laughs> okay. A double booth for, for Helen and then my own. And I was so exhausted and I was in such a sort of a fragile emotional state Yeah, that I like I di I didn't think I didn't help myself at that show. <laughs> I didn't. It yeah. was you know it was weird. And then this is another thing for everybody listening is very important. You have to have your tall chair. You do at all times. You do. Here's what happened to me a few years ago, and I, they, if they're listening, I got a bone to pick with you. My Earth my Earth Products chair that I had only bought maybe two years earlier, the the seam on it like ripped out on the seat. Oof. Okay. And I'm not a heavy person. No, okay. Yeah. At all. And I'm like, what the heck? And I'm like, ah, oh, I don't have time to deal with this. So it just got tossed into the pile here in the basement. <laughs> and I, and I was like, I need it. I just need a chair. And I just, I'll take this small little red camping chair. Yeah. And I didn't think about it. And I'd be sitting at a show and I'd be like, oh God, this is ridiculous. I need my tall chair. Helen has her tall chair. I don't have mine. And then like a few years go by and I just, don't replace it. And then I get to Cherry Creek. I'm so tired. <laughs> it's so hot that by two in the afternoon, there's nobody. It's like a George Romero movie. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sit in my gravity recliner. <laughs> not not what you should be doing on an no, art fair. I saw and you sitting I, at that. I definitely I, thought about it. What the hell is he doing? I, I was doing the wrong thing. <laughs> So don't do that. No. Make sure that you have your tall chair at all times. I finally, I repaired my earth products chair. Nice. 
And I took that with me when we went to La Quinta. Well, you got to do so, like, you yeah. know, you're, you could do like Daryl does. I don't think Daryl ever sits down. Yeah, I, I'm not Daryl. <laughs> Nobody is. No, I'm not. And, Nobody and is. And I, I watch him. He really doesn't. He's, no, he's just, he's super easygoing, but he's, he's, he's super also got that Southern and, thing where he, like, does. I, he doesn't necessarily get overheated too. I was talking to a, a neighbor of mine and I'm, I'm from the South, but not mm-hmm. like the deep, you know, Tennessee, Alabama mm-hmm. South where it gets you know, this big, you know, it gets swampy, but like, I'm trying to remember who the who my neighbor was, but we were at Maniunk and it was like 105. And somebody was like, "Man, you gotta, man, you gotta slow down. You gotta just move at oh, the yeah. pace of the heat of the day." Yeah, and it's like just yeah. sit there and embrace your old Southerner in a strap, you know, uh, nylon strap chair like your granddad <laughs> would have, and get totally. your straw hat and just move real slow. But goddamn, it was it was hot. Well, I I don't really like the the western kind of dry mm. dry desert heat and then you throw in some altitude and i'm i'm just oh that <laughs> cooks me i I, li- I actually prefer the the humidity yeah you know well i i thought i liked that dry heat until um everything that i every, every joint bleeds now that i'm mm-hmm. in santa fe yeah. my southern yeah. skin oh, is just like you know i totally i work i do all my shading with my hands and so mm-hmm. i just have these like thin black tattoo lines in my in my knuckles until i finally get south or go to the beach for a week or something like that it's just oh, it's rough it is yeah, but the, you know, getting back to that though, it's really important to think about all these things when you're at a show. Don't sit in your gravity recliner. No. Even if you think it's real funny for a minute. <laughs> um, don't do that. And it could because it 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 and it is so hard and everybody everybody seems to be a way that they really aren't. And and I I I feel like I really tuned into that this year because it was such an interesting show year. Many people were having really excellent shows, you know, and everybody suddenly was all like much more comfortable kind of interacting with each other and talking about their business. And, and, and I really, even though I've been doing this for so long, for some reason, it just was really driven home to me this, this year. It's like, wow, people are, Every so many people's expectations in what they're doing are so divergent. Yeah. You know, they are so different. Like if I've ever been at a show feeling salty, <laughs> it's not it's not because I didn't make forty thousand dollars like like somebody down the street. <laughs> right. It's because it's because I didn't make like my eight thousand dollars. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I know totally what you mean. Because you have, I, you I, don't, have have I don't your own I have goal. my my own goal, my own expectations, vastly different. Like we're, we are actually in different businesses. We have different audiences, you know? Right. And, and everybody, everybody should just always be cool. Just always be gracious. Yeah. And, and if you're feeling crabby, just do it. Yeah. Just let it out. You know, don't feel weird and don't, don't feel all uptight about stuff. And, and don't try to play somebody else's game. Don't try to play somebody else's game because you're not, right. you know, and you know, and for, for me, this is really important thinking about artists who work in a way that I relate to myself mm-hmm. where you're kind of doing like a, a range of work and it's a new body of work. I think there used to be more artists that did that. Yeah. And the, the thing that has happened 
in the last 20 years, but particularly since 2008, when, when, when wealth has become kind of concentrated in another direction, you've sort of lost that middle part of the audience right. at art fairs. Yep. What, what it caused was a real demand and emphasis on large, bold work that can appeal to somebody who has fairly deep pockets and can also be somewhat more easily produced. Do you know what I mean? Like you have, it's a sure. weird, it, there's like, like it has to have the art fair gloss, the art fair presentation yeah. that you have to have to stand out to attract that type of buyer. And with that comes scale. Once you're playing that game and you, you always want to do better. Yeah. So you have to, it has to be developed in a way that you can actually keep up with the demand because now you're, you're doing really well, you know, right. with, with, with like, for me, it's always been like a lot of individual labored pieces. Yeah. And I would always have so many like X amount of large pieces that I would be able to make. Sure. And I would always sell them. And by the end of the year, I'm like, okay, everything worked out. But with the, the, the kind of the, the way that the economics work, it has pushed art, like the art show. I mean, is, is any of what I'm saying making sense? It is like making it, a lot of sense because it, I just it, watched it, your movie again that you made. And I was mm -hmm. thinking about the, there's a commonality among the artists that you had on, on the film. And it, it is all of that kind of like, well, Whipple will do, John Whipple will have a body of work that changes, but it is a cohesive body of work whenever you see it. And he talks a little mm -hmm. bit about, well, you know, you get down to the end of the season, you got this from that last, you know, and it looks mm -hmm. like a hodgepodge. It never does. It always looks like Whipple. It's, it's a, it, he does amazing work, but um, he does, I think he's able to continue to do art shows because where he's changing the body of work, he's always creating and he can get down in it and produce like the current series of faces and, and heads. And the, the, it's just an incredible body of work to look at the different changes that are happening, but he is changing. So I think that keeps him from getting run down, you know? Um, yeah. But each one of those artists that you talk to, whether it was the Kempers, Jillian and Kemper, which I think is awesome that she calls her own son Kemper. <laughs> I know it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, you've got uh, John and Lynn. You know, they're all creating their bodies of work that they they have this integrity to uh, not duplicating necessarily and always changing too. So it's it was it's an interesting. Yeah, and and not to say that the people that do um, because I certainly uh, repeat imagery. Um, well, I, I also it's just a different game. I, it is a different game. And I actually th would consider what you do as, and I don't even know if people are doing it conscientiously, but as an acknowledgement of what the actual demands of the market are. Right. Like I do, I consider you to be an example of, of the type of show artist who can easily grab that, that, the, that, that type of consumer who is showing up with, the money to spend, you know, your right. things are pretty bold. They're pretty large. Yeah. They have a real like slick presentation. You're People definitely, can walk down, yeah, you I, can I, walk down the street 
and there there's no there's no ambiguity about it. It's yeah. like there it is right there. You know, where and this was the error that I made in this last like two years. And I because I understand that, but because I was left alone to do whatever the heck I wanted, <laughs> I I started making these things that I really liked that had this like real textured, you know, kind of subtle layer and you know material usage that all is so like it's raw but it's kind of thoughtfully put together and and it all became like kind of small yeah and not very bold in the the large pieces that i did make when you're just passing by on the street they don't they don't look like any anything interesting you know, it yeah. doesn't occur to you that, oh, I got to walk up there and look and like, oh my gosh, this is, well, these little, these things are cut out and this thing is covered in this staples and it's covered in paint. And there's like this little line in the space between the things that I stuck together. And like, none of that, you're not getting that. You're just walking down the street and you're like, oh man, here's the big stuff over here. Right. Bam, bam, bam. This guy is this quiet little weenie over here. <laughs> there's own little, little world. Of well, this guy's whatever. over in his own little world. Meanwhile, your next door neighbor has literal mustaches that you can ride and bananas. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. So it, for some reason, like the, the culture of art shows, and the way that art is successfully presented and sold on the street has skewed in this this large direction yeah. you know this large slick non-ambiguous direction like there can't be much question about what you're you're looking at and if there is it has to make a lot of sense as soon as you enter the booth and start looking right you know and and i in my weird highbrow fine art with a capital F conflicted with a guy who wishes he could draw like Boris Vallejo world I started like doing the kind of the opposite thing even though I know better yeah yeah thanks Dylan for that great talk today next episode I'm sitting down with Helen Gottlieb and the following week we'll finish this interview with Dylan where he talks all about his film The Life We Make Hey, uh, we got a letter to the podcast or an email, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. a topic that was interesting, a show basing the success off of their show this past year. They're now adding another show and they wanted to get our thoughts on that. They didn't want us to be specific about names. We don't need to necessarily name the show. But what do we think about basing any decisions into next year? Uh, adding a show based on the results of this coming out of hiding. Right. Yeah. This, yeah. Well, what mean, do you think about it, Will? You know, honestly, it kind of depends on the area. Uh, I know lots of, there are a, a few, not lots of, but like take, take Rittenhouse Square. Yeah. Um, I, I have done just as well in June as I have in September there. Okay. And Philly, you know, it's Philly. Mm-hmm. It's right in the heart of downtown Philly and they can support it. Mm-hmm. So you have to take your area into the demographics, the size, the art buying uh, crowd, all that stuff needs to be. Is it a vacation area? Is it the same people vacationing? Are you selling to people all around the country? I mean, you have to take everything into account when you're looking at whether or not the area can support it. Okay. Take 
Artisphere, for example. Artisphere is an amazing show in South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, that keeps their artist numbers pretty much parallel with the community size. You've got like 85, 90, no more than 100 ever artists at at Artisphere. And that's the, the number that that community can support. And that, I think, is why it's so damn right. good. So l- look at your community, and it's like, well, there are a lot of shows in like Naples, and, and people talk about it being overfished. But the counter to that is the fact that these are different groups of tourists that are coming down into Naples. So you're you're fishing a different pond every single time. So I, I don't know. It, it, it depends on the yeah. area. What do you think? I, I think it's really tricky because you can just totally water things down. It is. It has to have, there has to be a lot of, of thought put into it. You know, none of us want to see a strong show in a time slot that's good go down the tubes because it gets diluted, right? Because, you know, it's going to happen twice a year now. So um, I guess we have to put the trust in the organizers. We know that they're not just going to, we hope, not just going to throw up another show just to throw up another show. Right. If they are invested in the success of the show, not just being on the backs of artist booth fees, you know, then that is a whole different story, too, because really the success of the sales is what is going to be the success of the show. So I don't I don't know where to go with it from there. It's just it makes well, me nervous. It makes me nervous, too. And I will voice the opinion of somebody um, who we, we know and, and trust. I'm not going to drop him by name just because we have not asked. But um, his opinion was that you can't base anything off of last year. Right. Last year was a complete complete misnomer it was completely bonkers right shows were happening or not happening the ones that were had been incredibly successful the areas that were you know that had shut down seemed to be uh have a lot more hunger for the art shows i don't know it don't base anything off of last year it's it's like you take the high and you take the low and you throw them out you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you got to throw last year out like you just can't base any opinion on on what happened last year. And I have to say too, some of my experiences at first seemed extremely high, like extremely great right out right out of the gate. But things started to kind of level off a bit where people are like, well, this one like had a hit them out of the park and this one had a zero. And you're like, we're like, yeah, that's kind of like a show when we say, how did you do? I did okay. I did great. I did zero. It's like, yeah, that, now the, the, the results are kind of getting back to what we used to know. So you think your shows are kind of leveling out? Is that what you're saying? A bit. Um, um, yeah, I would say. I would say so. Huh. Interesting. You know, I think these these towns that that canceled their shows um, that have not had a big event for a number of uh, months or, or things, those are the ones that are, that are, are coming out and and really uh, doing doing a good job. So we'll see how it goes. Let's hope you have a great one in Chicago. Have a safe drive and sell lots and have a good time with friends. And we'll see you next time on the podcast here, Will. Thank you, buddy. We'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Happy Thanksgiving. It's already Thanksgiving, though, fast. Oh, yeah. Fuck it. Have a good one. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by the National Association of Independent Artists. The website is naiaartists.org. Also sponsored by Zapplication. That's zapplication.org. 
And while you're at it, check out Will's website at willarmstrongart.com and my website at sigwithglass.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to be notified when we release new episodes. 